You know, I I thought this I thought this week. Doesn't this year seem like a war? End of January, 1st of February and on, we heard about this new virus called coronavirus. And then around the 15th of March, we had to shut everything down and we've been locked down ever since. Just when it, we, didn't, we thought things couldn't get worse, May 25th, a white officer kills a black suspect. No protocol for that in the police academy. They don't teach people to put their knee on somebody's neck and it, it killed him. And then since then, we've had riots. We've even had it here in, in Champaign. Businesses were attacked. So that there's this whole feeling of that we've been in a war zone this does not feel like the normal year i know everything was speeding along january and into february things seemed normal and all of a sudden everything came to a halt so it does feel like to me that we have been in a war and today i want to talk about a different war i'm going to talk about spiritual warfare and if you have your bibles turn with me to ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 12 Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 12 a little background on on the church at Ephesus in the book of Ephesians the author was the Apostle Paul the audience was to the Saints in Ephesus and there were uh, a mixture of people in, in Ephesus but they were addressed to the church and some believe that this became a circular letter which it did throughout Asia Minor the place of writing Paul was in prison he was in prison in Rome some say Caesarea I believe probably the Roman imprisonment is the best uh, solution the date 60 to 61 AD and the purpose was doctrinal chapters 1 through 3 duty chapters 4 through 6 9 and where we're looking at today is defense so you have doctrine you have duty as he says in 5 1 be imitators of God the duty of every believer is to become more like Jesus every day so that's kind of a background and where we go today is that we're going to talk about defense or spiritual warfare and the Apostle Paul, first of all, says, live in God's power. Now, you'll notice he writes here, finally, be strong in the Lord. To be strong, endonomo in the Greek, which means to be able to do something or to become strong. Now, we can often, we can look at that and go, well, wait a minute. I can be strong. Well, yes, you can but not within your own strength and not for a long period of time. You need the second part of this, and that is in the Lord. Kudios, which means the one who exercises authority over mankind. You will not get very far in your Christian life if you are trying to live the Christian life apart from the power of Christ. And in fact, 
very difficult to do. You will only go so far before you run out of steam, you run out of strength. And the Apostle Paul says, I want you to be strong in the Lord. That is, I want you to have your strength come from the one who has authority over all of mankind. This is the power that we have as believers, and oftentimes... Uh, <laughs> Oftentimes, we don't even use it. We don't even think about it. We, we don't say, Lord, can you make me strong today? I, I want your power to live through me. And the Apostle Paul says, be strong in the Lord. And I, I did some research, and I looked at the Old Testament. Joshua, in Joshua 1.6, says this, be strong and courageous. Now, I want you to think about Joshua for a moment. He had been serving under Moses. Moses is now dead. He went up to the mountain. God showed him the, the promised land, and Moses died. So the succession rate goes to Joshua. Now Joshua here is commanded to be strong by God. And he was to be strong, but he was also to obey everything that God had written in the law. And so uh, his strength came from God. God actually commanded him. And I think of another guy, King David, in 1 Samuel 30.10. Picture the scene. David comes back to the camp, and he finds that the women and children have been taken captive. He finds a very angry audience that, want to, that wants to stone him to death. Listen to what David writes. He writes... David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And then we look at the Old Testament and we find the exiles. In Zechariah 10:12, we read this. God said, I will make them strong. Being strong is not a New Testament term. It has been around since the Old Testament days where God expects his people to be strong in the face of opposition. Uh, we are called to trust him, to rely on him, to grow in him. And here, these are three just simple e examples. If you read the Old Testament, the New Testament, you would find example after example. But more significantly is what Paul says next. And in the strength of his might. The word strength is kartos. Kartos. And that means the power to rule or control. Used with the word might. Iskus. Iskus. Which means exceptional capability. Again, what Paul's driving at here is that we don't live this life within our own strength. We have to draw it from another place and that place is God and think about it Jesus Christ is the ruler of the world at the end every knee shall bow every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God this is our Savior this is what we have inside of us to live our Christian life to become more like him to defend the gospel to live the way that we're supposed to live for him in this world and it does not come from our own strength it comes from him. I've got a picture of a weightlifter here. The question is, weightlifters are strong, right? If, if you're not strong, you're not going to be a weightlifter. But the issue is not the weightlifter him, himself, or in this case, herself, because there are some women weightlifters too. 
but the weightlifter gets strong by an external force. It's the weights themselves over a long period of time that conditions the muscles, that causes the strength to come. It is an external force. And the more the weightlifter lifts and the more that he works out, the stronger he becomes. Well, for Christians, it's an internal force at work in us, making us stronger and stronger. So the issue here is that we have to trust him more and more. We have to rely on his strength more and more. And when you're at the end of your rope and you feel like you're hanging by the last thread, you could call to God and say, God, give me strength to make it through this. It's so, you know, it's so simple, yet at, at the same time, we have to remember that God is the one that gives us the strength. And I know many people today, they're struggling. But I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to first live your life in God's power. Don't try to do this on your own. Remember, we live in combination with Christ. He walks with us. He walks with me. He talks with me. We all know the old hymn. Secondly... We're to put on God's armor. Now, don't go to Amazon and Google God's armor and try to buy it this afternoon. Uh, that's, not gonna, that's not the kind of armor that we're, that we're talking about. He says here, put on the whole armor of God. Put on, in duo, which means to dress. Many of us, we dress first thing in the morning. We, we get out of bed. We do our stuff. We, we get dressed. We put our clothes on and we get ready for the day. Well, the Apostle Paul is saying the same thing here. He's saying that we need to put something on. And what we need to put on is the armor of God. Panoplia. Panoplia. Listen to this. It is a complete, this is a literal reading in, in the Greek. A complete set of of instrumental of instruments used in defensive or offensive combat or or warfare high train time out on it now we don't know what the armor is right here in 611 but if we go on and we look down in Ephesians 6:14 to 17 we see that we have the helmet of salvation, that is salvation in Christ. You put the helmet on. You have the breastplate of, of righteousness, which is doing the right thing before God all the time. We have the shield of faith. And, and by the way, the shield of faith is very important. And faith is the key to living the Christian life. Then we have the belt of truth. That is not only the gospel, but that is living the truth each day. And then we have the feet prepared with the gospel of peace. Soldiers had shoes that they wore. And then they had the sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That, and here's, here's the thing. All of those are defensive. All of those are defensive, with the exception of one. Did you spot it? The sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is the only offensive weapon that we have in our arsenal. Let me ask you a question. Where did Paul get this image from? I want you to picture with me, if you will, Paul sitting in prison. 
and right outside his prison doors there's a guard and Paul looked at that guard and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote these words to us he might even been able to look out his jail cell and look at the Praetorian guard down there doing uh, drills or practicing and he says you know what we need to armor brothers and sisters this world throws a lot at us and it throws a lot at us and we have to be able to fight it sometimes with the shield of faith sometimes with the belt of truth sometimes with the breastplate of righteousness and sometimes the sword of the spirit uh, when Jesus was tempted Satan quoted scripture by the way but then Jesus quoted scripture back to him as the sword of the spirit so we need as believers to realize and actually I believe that Satan attacks us in all the areas that are mentioned here in Ephesians 14 to 17 so the question becomes why do we put these things on he gives us the answer in uh, 11b that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil histomy is the word stand and it means to offer resistance it means to offer resistance stand is not really an offensive term it is more of a defensive term one of my favorite theologians Harold Honer said this the one who stands is not pushed around but firmly holds his or her position in terms of warfare it does not imply an offensive but rather a defensive stance to hold one's ground when the world comes at us, and it will, we need to be able to stand firm and hold the ground that we have. We need to be able to stand firm, either by using the sword or, or the helmet of salvation to remain. Because, you know, this, this, this is something that has always fascinated me, and, and it even happened to me. You know, when, when somebody comes to saving faith in Christ, when I was a young, when I was a young believer, put on that helmet had no idea that these other instruments were available do you know the first place that Satan attacked me was the helmet of salvation because if you don't have the helmet you're susceptible to everything he would say you know what look at what you just did right there are you sure you're saved one of the things that I stress when I'm honored to lead somebody in the sinner's prayer to receive Christ. I always have them write the date and the time down. Because the first thing that Satan is going to do is going to make you think that you didn't do that. Other times, Satan may attack your faith. I make sure your faith is grounded in Scripture, but Satan may, may, may come along and say, you know, it's silly to use that shield of faith. God's not going to protect you. Sometimes he may attack the belt of truth. It's okay to tell a little white lie here. It's okay to lie here. It's okay to lie there. Uh, and Satan, I think by the virtue of the armor, is where every enemy will try to attack physically 
at least in the Roman Empire. And if I can take the same analogy from a physical attack to a spiritual attack, it stands to reason. The reason I have to hold my ground is I'm going to be attacked in these areas of my life. And that's something we need to be keenly aware of. He mentions here, this is an interesting word too, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I, I believe that Satan is real. I don't believe he's imaginary or a figment of somebody's imagination. Satan is real. The word schemes, listen to this. Methodea. What does that sound like to you all? Methodology. It's exactly where the word comes from. It's a method. Wow. Uh, for those of you watching by Facebook, I put the General Schwarzkopf back uh, in 1991. Started an operation called Operation Desert Storm. And I'm looking at this map, and I'm looking at the 1st Infantry Division. They were to go through Iraq. It was a strategy. It was planned out. I was with the 1st Infantry Division, but I was in Bible college because I left the military, and I watched my unit go through. I struggled a little bit with that. You know what General Schwarzkopf did was brilliant. The, the Medina forces were all up at the front, 30,000 30, uh, units right there. Do you know what he did for about three weeks? He sent bombers in to knock out their supply lines. As the days went into weeks, food supply was not getting to the front. And so when General Schwarzkopf saw that the soldiers, when they had flyover reconnaissance planes that, that were checking the positions, realized they had no supplies coming to the front. That demoralizes those troops on the front line. Then at a particular moment, General Schwarzkopf ordered a full-fledged attack. And when they came across, many of us that were alive then, remember seeing Iraqi soldiers with their hands up down on their knees, surrendering to the U.S. Army forces. I had a friend of mine that told me about it afterwards. Uh, he told me in a, in a phone conversation, he says, you know, when we went in there, we weren't really sure what we were going to find, but when we approached, we saw these soldiers throwing down their weapons and turning up their, and holding up their hands like this. They were surrendering. That's where Satan wants us to live. He wants us to surrender. He wants us to give up our ground. In, in, and he wants to stop us in our Christian walk. He wants to stop us from moving forward for, for God and for the kingdom. Satan has an attack strategy. To think otherwise is to be unaware of how cunning Satan is. You ever get times in your life when you, lack, when you lack faith? God says he will care for my needs, but you know what? You know what's happening at that moment? Satan is attacking the shield. Young Christians may be watching by uh, Facebook this morning. 
if you trusted in Jesus Christ, and I mean really trusted in him from your heart, the first thing Satan wants to do is keep you at the cross to make you think you didn't do that. Because if he keeps you at the cross and keeps you worried about where you are spiritually as, as far as believing in, in Christ, he has already gained a great victory because you cannot move forward in your Christian life when you're worried about whether you're saved or not. Let me, let me tell you this. This is a personal note here. That you will not live the Christian life perfectly. I will not live the Christian life perfectly. But that has nothing to do with your salvation. If you meant that in your heart and you trusted in Christ, asked for forgiveness of your sins and invited him into your life, in, into your life to be your Lord and Savior, you are saved. Don't ever question that. Thank, thankfully, I had an army chaplain that led me to saving faith. And the first thing he told me to do was write it down, October 12, 1981. I never forgot that day. There was times I questioned it early on. But this is, this is the issue. Satan has a strategy. Now, after we learn to fight in God's power and we put on the armor, do you see how this is going? I want you to be strong in the Lord and in his might. Then I want you to put the armor on and then I want you to sit in the pew Sunday morning and never do anything. Number three. Number three is we have to fight against spiritual forces. Now, there's not a demon behind every rock. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about the times when we are under attack and we look at our world today. It is chaotic. Listen to what Paul says. This, this is something to remember. Please remember this. If you don't remember anything in a sermon, remember this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Pale. That means to engage in an intense struggle, either physical or non-physical. Michael Gord, uh, Gordoff, in his commentary, he wrote this. The term pane was used to indicate that the fully armored soldier was, a comp was an also an accomplished wrestler who on occasions would be involved in close quarter struggle against a cunning opponent. I have two wrestlers here on the screen. I didn't like wrestling in high school. Um, we had to get down and then the coach would tell us, you, you try to grab the arm and pull it. Uh, I don't know why he put me up against bigger guys. I, I could never get their arms <laughs> like that. They'd flip me over and sit on me. But um, You know what? When we look at our world today, and we see some of the stuff that's going on, we get angry, right? We get angry. But don't you know something? That Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. In other words, the people that are doing these things, I don't know of any Christians that are out burning down churches or 
So it's probably not coming from the, from the Christian faith. But these people that are doing this, chances are they do not know Jesus Christ. So they are under the influence of the master schemer. And so it's so easy for us to sit back, and I've done it too, and I have to catch myself. I go, that guy is nuts. Or the way that they're viewing it is nuts. And i got to remind myself, this is not a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle. There is a force at work behind that person. There's, there's a lot of things that I would change if I could. But there's one thing I can change. And that is my view of the world. You, you, you got somebody in your life that is difficult... And maybe, maybe they're not saved. Your issue is not particularly with them. It's the mindset at work in them. Paul says it very clearly. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not a physical. So if you've got somebody in your life that is difficult, that is hard to deal with, then, then, what, then what you need to do is be mindful of the fact particularly with lost people. You need to be reminded of the fact that it's not the person. You say, well, that, that removes them from their own personal responsibility. No, it doesn't. What I'm simply trying to say is that Satan's very good at manipulating people to do his work. And ultimately, the goal, as I understand it, the soldier has shoes that he wears, which is the gospel of peace for us, and we're to be sharing the good news of the kingdom of God. Peter O'Brien says this. I totally agree with it. That's why I put it on the screen. <laughs> this spiritual warfare is not against human opposition. That is humanity in its weakness and frailty. Please get that today. The spiritual warfare is not against a human opposition. That is humanity in its weakness and frailty, but against a far more deadly against far more deadly foes that can be resisted only through divine empowering. Where do we get that divine empowering? Be strong in the Lord and in the might of his strength. That's how we fight the world. That's how we fight our battle. We do not fight this within our own strength. Peter O'Brien is absolutely right. Do not focus on the person. Focus on the forces around that person. And then he says here in the next verse, verse 12b, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's a satanic hierarchy. I've got a hierarchy here on the PowerPoint. Maybe you can go home and look at it later if, if you're not watching on your smartphone here. You have Satan, who is the commander of the forces, just like God is our commander. You have rulers and authorities, which are angelic leaders, 
Same word is used in Ephesians 3.10. You have um, evil spirits, or as Paul wrote, cosmic powers. Now, this is interesting. This is interesting. During the Hellenistic culture, particularly in Ephesus, the goddess Artemis, who was responsible for wild animals, hunting, vegetation, chastity, childbirth, some other things. Some first century believers thought that he was talking here about this idol. But the idol in and of itself does not have power. The idol does not have power. A better choice here is what I call evil spirits in the present darkness. I thought about this this week. If believers, when we die, we don't die, then evil spirits don't die. And it is highly probable that these spirits have been doing their job for over 2,000 years. Now, I want you to think about that. Think of the significance here. If evil spirits don't die, then the same spirits that attacked our brothers and sisters in the first century are quite possibly the same spirits that are attacking us today. Solomon wrote, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing surprised him. That tells me something very important. That these spirits have had over 2,000 years of practice. And we've had most, some of us maybe in our 80s, we've only had 80 years of practice to deal with these forces. But, because we have the power of God, I don't care how many thousands of years they've had to practice, we can still defeat these forces because we are greater than those forces that attack us. We have infinitely more power available to us if we go to God and say, God, I am struggling right now. I am struggling here in my life. Uh, my faith is weak. Lord, I'm, I'm having trouble with the truth. I'm struggling with it. And, if, and, and, and the enemy knows. The enemy knows when, they've, when they're starting to zero in. They know. And then you just go to God and say, Lord, I pray that you give me the strength to fight this battle. And somehow, by some miracle, God gives us the power to fight back. Yeah, I, I was in my study and I was thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. If, if when we die, we don't die and we go on, then spirits have to live forever until the final judgment. And I, I do believe God gave me that, that this is something to draw out of this is that we are fighting an enemy that is very tricky. And you know what? Satan knows your weakness, and he knows my weakness. And when you go, go, I, I want you to go home today, look at the armor of God, and I want you to maybe make three by five cards. 
write out each one and whenever you when you go you know what I've got an opportunity to lie here up oh, you're being attacked Ah, oh, the Bible's not real now you take the sword of the spirit we know that the Bible is divinely inspired by God there's no errors no drips anything it's the accurate word of God the spiritual forces Numa ecos. That's easy for me to say. I practiced that all week. Numa ecos. Numa is obviously the word for spirit. But these spiritual forces, you could say that they were unclean spirits. Wait a minute. Didn't Jesus deal with unclean spirits in his ministry? Yes, he did. And you know what this word means? These evil spirits or unclean spirits. I'm going to read it to you just, just from the Greek lexicon. The Greek lexicon says, having power to control act, the activity of human beings. Look at your world. Look at everything that's going on and tell me there is not a, a satanic influence taking place. Hatred, bitterness, anger, fights. All of this does not come from God. The author, and let's pin it to who it is, the author of this plan is Satan. So how do we fight? We fight against the darkness. But to do that, we have to live in God's strength. We have to put on his armor, and we have to fight. Is there something going on in your life today that you need to talk to God about, you can do that. Here's what I want to say in closing. Every day we must be alert. Soldiers that fall asleep on post usually get in trouble. Satan and his forces are at work. Do not be deceived. The little things that we have come in our lives every day it's like Satan just has a wave of attacks. You already know that God loves you. He cares for you. He will take care of you. He wants the best for you in your own walk with, with, with him. He wants closeness with you. We need to focus on those things. We must put on God's armor. And we must, as Christians and as the church, stand our ground. 